The apostles are having a little dispute about who will be in charge when the Lord Jesus Christ leaves and the, and the Lord answers that the greatest in His kingdom are the servants, but that's not my point. I just want that 28th verse out of the midst of this context because He told them that they ought to be servants and ministers in verses 26 and 27 and He gave them an illustration by being such for them. And we have Matthew 20 and verse 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give His life a ransom for many. Father in heaven, we are prostrate before the Lamb of God, and we thank Thee for Him. And we thank Thee for His willingness to come and lay down His life, a ransom for us. Have mercy upon us now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I wish we had a preacher that could preach this text. The Apostle Paul would say that there's no greater subject. And he would say, I determine not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He would also say, but God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. This is the greatest drama in the universe. And I hope that you'll consider it with me for a few minutes. And I hope that if you hear things you've heard before, instead of being frustrated that everything isn't brand new, that you'll rejoice in the old, old story of Jesus and His love for us. I want to think upon the word ransom. Because it's one of the words that God chose in the Bible to describe His salvation of us. A ransom is the price paid. It's money. It's an economic term. It's the price paid to free someone from captivity or to remove a penalty or condemnation that they are under. That's what a ransom is. It is the amount of money or it is the amount of something that is paid. It's a payment made to free someone that's condemned, to free a prisoner. Sometimes we use it in referring to freeing a child that has been kidnapped. If a kidnapper comes and takes a child, he has taken the child not because he wants the child, but because he wants the wealthy parents to give him money to buy back something that is so dear to them. And when he kidnaps the child, he leaves a ransom note. Let me show you some uses in the Bible very quickly because they're not germane to our subject of the Lord Jesus. But chapter 6 of Proverbs describes the ransom this way. Proverbs 6.35 Speaking about the sin of adultery. When a man commits adultery with with another man's wife, that husband that has been violated, it says this about him. He will not regard any ransom. Neither will he rest content, though thou givest many gifts. Solomon there is just teaching his son the heinous nature of adultery. 
and that there's no way to buy your way out of it because it's a, it's a sin that has no understanding at all. Look at Exodus chapter 21 and verse 30. Exodus chapter 21. If a man's ox were to gore another man, and that ox had been known in the past to be a dangerous ox, then the man was to die unless the victim's family wanted cash instead. Exodus 21 and verse 30. If there be laid on him, that is the owner of the ox that was wont to push, if there be laid on him a sum of money, then he shall give for the ransom of his life whatsoever is laid upon him. So you can see that it, it's a it's a payment made to deliver someone from condemnation. Now, nine years ago, I told you this story, and I'm going to tell it again. And if it bores you, then just block me out for a few minutes. But for those that have never heard it, and for my children, I mean my church's children that are here, I want them to hear it because I like the story of a ransom. There was a man named Charles Lindbergh who in 1927 flew his little plane all the way from New York to Paris, the first transatlantic flight that was a solo flight and nonstop across the Atlantic Ocean. He was 25 years old. That was in 1927. He came back to a ticker tape parade and was America's hero. He was beloved of this nation for having accomplished something like that. To avoid the news hounds because he did not like publicity, he bought 390 secluded acres near Hopewell, New Jersey, where he would live on the weekends to avoid the press and publicity. He married and he had a little boy that he named Charles A. Lindbergh Jr. When that little boy was 20 months old, a little over a year and a half, the boy was kidnapped from his country estate at around 9 p.m., on March 1st, 1932, this is five years after he flew the Atlantic, he was taken out of the nursery on the second floor of their big house with the parents, Mr. and Mrs. Lindbergh, on the first floor. The little boy's nurse had checked him at 8 o'clock. He was in his crib at 10 o'clock. The crib was empty. Charles Lindbergh remembered hearing a sound that he thought sounded like an orange crate falling off a chair in the kitchen at around 9 o'clock that evening. But the child was gone. He was sitting in the living room with his wife at that time. On the nursery window of their nursery was a little note. It said they were demanding $50,000. In those days, 1932, in the midst of the Depression, $50,000 was an enormous amount of money. But he was very well off because of his popularity in this country. But if he wanted his child back, he would have to pay $50,000 to get him back. The whole nation became involved in this event, including J. Edgar Hoover of the FBI and the President of the United States. It was the crime of the century for our country. The whole nation knew about it. And daily, we're reading the news to find out if the child had been found, what Mr. Lindbergh was going to do. That was March March 1st when it happened. On March 16th, two weeks, and a day later, a baby's sleeping suit was delivered as proof 
from the kidnappers that they had the child and it was positively identified as belonging to the Lindberghs. Imagine the hours of grief and the days and nights of grief until you got that to know that at least there were people that had the child that were admitting it and showing the proof of it. 32 days later, on April 2nd, after a lot of consideration, Charles Lindbergh accompanied a mediator into a dark cemetery and turned over $50,000 in gold certificates in exchange from the kidnappers for a note that told him where his little boy was. But when they went to the area where the note said to go, there was no baby to be found. Seventy-three days later, on May 12th, the body of the little boy was found with a crushed skull and a mutilated and badly decomposed body just a few miles from the Lindbergh's house in a ditch, showing that he had been killed the night he was kidnapped. The Federal Reserve Bank of New York discovered the first batch of gold certificates a year later on May 2nd of 1933, and a gas station attendant noticed one in 1934 that helped nab the guilty party. Bruno Richard Hauptman was executed in New Jersey's electric chair on April 3rd, 1936, four years later. The crime and the extended intrigue around it was known as the crime of the century. I want you to think about a child's life being at risk, what a parent is willing to pay to get their child back, that a ransom was demanded, $50,000 in gold certificates in a note left on the windowsill of the nursery. The ransom was paid, but the child was killed anyway. That's a ransom not working but it's a ransom that hopefully will get your attention about the meaning of the word. We can look at this ransom in so many different ways, and all the ways that we can look at it from the pages of Scripture show it to be the most wonderful ransom ever, and how it was paid, and how it was received and satisfied, the one that held us in judgment and condemnation, and it wasn't the devil. It was Almighty God. Right. If you'll allow me, we, our race, was kidnapped from paradise. That is the Garden of Eden, if you'll follow an analogy for just a little while. We were kidnapped by the devil and his seduction of our first parents. When our first parents innocently enjoyed the beauty and peace of a world without sin, they were kidnapped by a seduction of the serpent and our first mother and father. The devil knew exactly what God had said about eating the fruit off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. In this respect, the devil has the power of death over us, and it's only in that respect that he has the power of death over us. And that is that he has got us obligated under the law of God, guilty of that first sin of eating the fruit off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We 
We do not believe in a ransom paid to the devil, although that has been a theological dispute for 2,000 years. We totally deny it. Jesus didn't offer himself to the devil, nor did he die to give a payment to the devil. It is to the God Almighty who held us in condemnation because of our sin against him. God further gave a law through Moses to confirm our inability and prove our condemnation as sinners worthy of a death penalty. So we are condemned by Adam, we are condemned by the law of Moses, we are condemned by our nature, we are condemned by the sins that we commit. We are worthy of dying. And rightly so. We have been kidnapped by the devil and we're guilty. Guilty and guilty. And we should die. And we, we see death around us. But after what we see is the lake of fire, which is called the second death. And it's far worse than that first death. David described the fact in Psalm 49, and I would like you to turn there, that no man can give to God a ransom to buy his way out of this condemnation of death. Then I appreciate a young brother that used this text in praying this morning in the back room. Psalm 49 and verse 6. They that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother nor give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of their soul is precious and it ceaseth forever that he should still live forever and not see corruption. This is talking about death. No matter how rich a man might be, and he is used to getting his way in this world by the amount of money he has, because most anything can be bought, including love, but you cannot buy yourself out of death. No man can give to God, because that's where ransoms must be paid. Because it's God that said, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. It is God that said, in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And so it's a ransom to be paid to God, not to the devil. And it's not offered to the one kidnapped. Ransoms are never paid to the one kidnapped, nor are they ever offered to the one kidnapped. Ransoms are paid to the one that took the, that did the kidnapping, that holds the victim or that holds the subject, that holds the object in its power. And so here we read that no man can do it. Look, find the book of Hosea after the book of Daniel. And let's see another reference. We see that we can't be redeemed by things like silver and gold. And we know the rest of that statement from 1 Peter chapter 1, that there is something that we can be redeemed with, and that's what we want to think about in the minutes that we have. Hosea chapter 13 and verse 14. I will ransom them from the power of the grave. Now we just saw in Psalm 49 that no rich man can ransom even his brother. No matter how much he loves his brother and no matter how much money he has, he can't pay a ransom to God to stop his brother from dying. No matter what age his brother is, no matter what doctors he gets, no matter what condition his brother is in, no matter if his brother is begging, help me! He cannot redeem him. 
But we worship a glorious God in heaven that speaks this way. I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be thy plagues. O grave, I will be thy destruction. Repentance shall be hid from mine eyes. I won't turn back from my purpose. I will accomplish the ransom of my people from the grave. And you know the apostle quotes this in a favorite chapter of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look at Revelation chapter 20 with me. Revelation 20. You and I are going to die physical deaths. That is, our bodies are going to breathe their last. And the spirit, our individual unique spirits will leave our bodies and that will be death. And that death of our physical body is a reminder to us that we are under condemnation of death. But we go to sleep in Jesus. That body is going to be taken care of and our spirit goes to be with the Lord. And so we have the gospel already as we even start to think about death and dying and what happens and how we go to be with the Lord. But in Revelation chapter 20, it describes the great white throne judgment of Almighty God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Beginning in verse 11, it describes the dead, small and great in verse 12, standing there before God and the books are opened and the dead are judged out of the books according to their works. And the dead that might be in the sea are delivered, and all that are in the grave are delivered up, delivered up, and they are all judged every man according to their works. Verse 13. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is where you and I and everyone is headed to this judgment. And if our name is not in the book of life, we will be cast into the lake of fire. The sea and death and hell and the grave are going to deliver up all men from Cain and Abel all the way down to the last one that's going to live and die or be alive at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet there is a book of a ransom paid because it is the book of life of the Lamb slain. And so we have the need for a ransom. We need our names in that book, and we need the one who owns that book to lay down his life so that the names in it will be delivered. Thank you, Lord, for the hope that we have all the way from Genesis 3 that the seed of the woman will bruise the serpent's head by giving him a fatal wound to this place right here where we read about the book of life. And we take from other places that it's the book of life of the lamb slain. Look at your Bibles at Job 33. Job chapter 33. Those of you that know the book of Job know that that is Elihu speaking. Commencing in chapter 32. So it's the one man out of the five men that knew what was transpiring in the book of Job. Elihu rebukes Job's self-righteousness for 13 verses. The first 13 of this chapter. Then he explains three ways in which God deals with his people. Three different ways. The first way is that he, he speaks to them by dreams. You can see it in verses 14 and 15. Look at verse 15. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep. And it goes on to describe how he helps men 
at night. Does the Lord ever talk to you at night? Do you ever get renewed conviction at night? Do you ever get clarity at night? Do you ever have a love for Him burst in your soul for Him at night where you cry out to Him, Abba, Father, do you have any of those experiences? I know them all. And I love them. And I hope you know them. And He he holds us back from sin, but that's not my subject, so we must leave it. You can read these Verses at another time, because he opens the ears of men and seals their instruction that he can withdraw man from his purpose to commit some sin, and he can break down his pride and teach him some humility. It's through verse 18. Then in verses 19 through 26, it describes a man under the chastening of God and under sore conviction, so that his life is abhorring bread and his soul dainty meat. He's desperate. And then verses 27 and 28 describe the third way that God deals with men, that he forgives them when they pray unto him and properly confess their sins. And it says in verse 29, Lo, all these things worketh God oftentimes with man. But now let me go to the middle one. And I'm sorry that it is so poorly represented in your life. And I mean that with all my life. Verse 19, he is chastened also with pain upon his bed and the multitude of his bones with strong pain. This is David in Psalm 51. If you've ever read that psalm, Brother Charlie, about David confessing his sins and how the Lord had broken his bones so that his life abhorreth bread and his soul dainty meat. His flesh is consumed away that it cannot be seen. And his bones that were not seen stick out. Yea, his soul draweth near unto the grave and his life to the destroyers. If there be a messenger with him, if there be a messenger with him, an interpreter, one among a thousand, to show unto man his uprightness, that he is gracious unto him and saith, Deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. His flesh shall be fresher than a child's. He shall return to the days of his youth. He shall pray unto God, and he will be favorable unto him, and he shall see his face with joy, for he will render unto man his righteousness. The second way that God deals with men is by sending a preacher to them. And this preacher is a rare preacher because he knows the sovereign government of God over men's lives And he knows about the ransom that has been supplied for sinners that are hopeless. Job knew about that ransom. Job chapter 19, verses 25 through 27. I know that my Redeemer liveth. Job knew about that ransom. But Job has just been listening to three preachers that weren't worth their salt, that were unjustly accusing him. And so little young Eli, who has to come by and explain that when, this is one of the ways God deals with men. God crushes them. And this isn't all physical. God can do this with a David, and he uses the same language, though David didn't have a thing wrong with him physically. It's guilt for sin. Who was the one among a thousand for David? Nathan the prophet. Thou shalt not die. Because a ransom was found for David and a ransom was found for every one of us. Amen. And a preacher has the message to say, I have found a ransom. If there be a messenger with him, verse 23, that's a preacher. He brings the message of the glad tidings of good things. 
an interpreter. He reads the word of God distinctly and gives the sense. That's interpreting. One among a thousand. Elihu was frustrated that no one had been able to explain to Job what was happening. To show unto man his uprightness. That is the uprightness of God. What was Elihu's whole purpose? But showing that God was upright and just in all that he was doing toward Job. But then that same man that can say God is just and God is greater than man. Those words that we like from the 12th verse of this chapter. God is greater than man. We like those words. But the same man can say, I have found a ransom. Deliver him from going down to the pit. Your life is not going to end this way. There is something beyond the grave far better than this. You have a Redeemer. And so the gospel sound goes forth, and it's a joyful sound. And what is the, what is the effect on a child of God? His flesh shall be fresher than a child's. He shall return to the days of his youth. He shall pray unto God, and he will be favorable unto him. He'll see the face of God again, who had forsaken him. And he shall see his face with joy, for he shall render unto man his righteousness. God will let that man be fully assured that he is righteous in his sight by the righteousness that he's provided and by the righteousness that he has sanctified in that man's life. This is all about a ransom. Oh, Elihu had quite a message to preach. What was the ransom? You all are going to die and your physical death and the funerals that you've been to to see the pain and the, 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 uh, the condemnation and the, the lifelessness of a corpse, it's to remind us that we're all going to die. It's a reminder that we all need a ransom. But what was the ransom? What is the ransom? What is the ransom that we celebrate today? It's the perfect life, death, and burial of Jesus of Nazareth. Amen. The perfect substitution of the Lord Jesus Christ in our place under God's wrath. Look at John chapter 11. John chapter 11. The ransom was the man, Christ Jesus. A man came down from heaven to die a cruel, horrific death to pay the ransom price so that you would not have to do that. He substituted himself. What a ransom payment. 50,000 in gold certificates? Let's all have a laugh in comparison to the Lord of glory, the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at John chapter 11. So great was this transaction. And I'm thankful this morning that our day, I'm sorry ladies, but our day began in the prayer room in the back. The men gathering to hear from Matthew chapter 17 and the corresponding accounts of the Mount of Transfiguration that Moses and Elijah came down from heaven to speak with Jesus of Nazareth to encourage him toward the cross. Do you know why? Because Moses and Elijah in their spirits were in heaven depending upon that ransom being paid. Of course it was going to be paid. It's in the perfect will and decorative counsel of Almighty God. But they encouraged him to pay the ransom. Because we're all desperately in need of that ransom. And so they encouraged, they encouraged Jesus who his whole life knew his father's business 
was to die. I love a God who is able to blind Caiaphas, the high priest of the Jews, and yet when he wants to make an ass speak like he did under Balaam, he's able to pull this out of Caiaphas when the Jews have assembled to figure out how they're going to kill Jesus. John chapter 11, verse 49, and one of them, named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, Ye know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and that the whole nation perish not. And this spake he not of himself. But being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation, and not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. Do you know what he was preaching? Caiaphas was preaching, and it wasn't of himself. It was by God he was preaching a ransom. One man dying for the others not to die. The Lord can raise up anyone to preach, even Caiaphas and me. Who gave the ransom? For God so loved the world, the world of his elect among Jews and Gentiles, that he gave his only begotten son. Charles Lindbergh and his wife grieved about the loss of their son. Our Father in heaven gave his son to ransom his enemies. So forgive me for even illustrating the word ransom from the life of the Lindberghs. It is not to be compared to what we're talking about. He, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Herein is love, 1 John 4.10. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave his son to be the propitiation for our sins. I can't show a slide of it. I can't describe it in words better than the Bible describes, uses. We're going to stand before Almighty God and the terror of that day to all the wicked is going to be that the heaven and the earth are going to flee away from the face of Him that sits on the throne. We are all going there. It doesn't matter what you do this afternoon. It doesn't matter if you try to block me out now. We're all going there. But a ransom has been paid. And He's going to gather together in one the children of God that live in the Piedmont of the Carolinas. Because the Lord Jesus Christ did indeed die for us. God gave His Son. And then Jesus gave Himself because Jesus said, I come to do Thy will, O God. Are you thankful? The ransom was not money that has no spirit in it. The ransom was the Lord Jesus Christ. So we, we had God purposing, I am going to ransom some of those wicked sinners down there and make them my children. But then we had to have the willing spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ who would say, I come to do thy will, O God. And he did the will of God and laid down his life for us. To whom was it given? 
What was the ransom? It was the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who gave it? God gave it and he gave it. To whom was it given? It was given to God, as we read in Psalm 49. The ransom price was not given to the devil, for we are not held by the devil. We are held by God. The devil just assisted us getting under God's condemnation. The ransom was not offered to sinners, which is contrary to the definition of a ransom and contrary to the word of God as well. Jesus offered himself without spot through the eternal spirit to God. Now, the issue is, was it accepted? Look at Ephesians chapter 5 with me. Ephesians chapter 5. So many things could be said. So many verses could be turned to. Ephesians chapter 5. Let's think about the giving before we go to the accepting and the receiving of it. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savour. God has arranged this fantastic, glorious drama of the entire existence of the universe centered around His Son and us, bypassing the angels, bypassing the wicked, and leaving them out of the book of life. He has given His Son in great love to ransom us. Mr. and Mrs. Lindbergh, you know, gave 50,000 in gold certificates in their love for their son, Charles Jr. But God's given His Son in love for us. And here we can read about it. The Lord Jesus Christ gave Himself an offering and a sacrifice to God on our behalf. And it was given to God. Now, was it accepted? If a ransom, if you try to short a kidnapper, or if the, if the kidnapper has a bad day and doesn't accept the ransom, you don't get your child back. Like the Lindberghs. That was a lying kidnapper. There wasn't going to be a child to give back. It was all going to be based on a lie. But they would get their 50000 which they got. A ransom must be accepted for it to be effectual, but it's not accepted by the one that's been kidnapped. It has to be accepted by the one that's holding the one that's kidnapped or condemned or imprisoned. And that was God, not the devil. It was God. Look at Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, was it accepted? We have a verse in Isaiah 53 that we love. You know, verse 6 is probably the most popular from the chapter. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. We were kidnapped. We were imprisoned. We were condemned because of our own sins. And it says the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was the ransom price. But we've got to ask, he gave himself to God. Did God accept it? Verse 11. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Verse 11, beginning again, he shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. 
God received the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself up to God, and God was satisfied. So the one that held us under condemnation was satisfied. This payment is sufficient. This payment satisfies me. I am well pleased. All is covered. They are freed. I have found a ransom. Jesus would put it this way. It is finished. The price was paid by the Lord Jesus Christ. So that when we come to Revelation chapter 5, and God is sitting on the throne and holds in his hands the book of the everlasting covenant, and there's no man that can open it. No man can pay the ransom. What was John weeping for? Because if no man can pay the ransom, it's curtains for him and for all of us. And then appeared, as if it were, a lamb slain. The Lord Jesus Christ, also the Lion of the tribe of Judah, and came to God sitting on his throne in Revelation chapter 5 and took that book out of his hands. And then the choirs of heaven burst into singing that now is come salvation and worthy is the lamb that was slain because the ransom was found. This is a drama and this is a scene that, that totally trumps, totally destroys any drama that has ever been devised by man's frail imagination and their perverse ideas of what is dramatic. To think about Jesus of Nazareth appearing there and taking that book out of the hand of God and beginning to tear off its seals because the ransom had been paid. And if you go read the singing that took place in Revelation chapter 5, you know that included in that book, while there's judgments on the outside that he's peeling off in those seals, inside are the covenant blessings upon all the people of God because of the salvation they sing about in those verses around that transaction. Oh, a dark cemetery with 50,000 in gold certificates? Sorry. I want Revelation chapter 5 and the Lord Jesus Christ showing up there. Amen. Were the prisoners released? Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry cast out a devil. And he was accused of casting out devils by the power of Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. He said, I'm not like your gypsies that go around casting out devils. If I cast out devils, then no doubt the kingdom of God has come upon you. Because I'm doing it with the finger of God. In Luke chapter 11, verses 20 through 22. In Romans chapter 8, the apostle could write, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. And it went on to describe that he that spared not his own son. See, he spared not his own son. He paid his own son as the ransom. There's no charge to be laid against them. Has the kidnapper been destroyed? Do you know how horrible it would be? How horrible it would be if once delivered from the kidnapper with the ransom of God's only begotten son being paid, the kidnapper could do again to us what he did to our first parents. Wouldn't you like to know that? That the kidnapper has been executed like with a head wound, a head shot? From the Lord Jesus Christ. So that when the Lord Jesus Christ ascended up into heaven, there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought. The devil and his angels fought. And who won? The Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And the devil was cast out of heaven. 
So there is no accuser of the brethren there any longer. And he knows he has but a short time on earth because he knows his end is coming. Even when he met the Lord Jesus Christ in the Gospels, he would say that he knew that Jesus had the authority to torment him for eternity and he was wondering if it was happening before he thought it was going to happen. Has the kidnapper been destroyed? Oh yes. He took on him the the seed of Abraham, that he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. Hebrews 2.14. Heaven's too small for both of them, so that John chapter 12 and verse 31 says, Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. You never have to fear that devil again. Can we summarize? Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. A ransom. I remember as a little boy hearing stories about kidnapping. It didn't help my sleep at night. But I had a good dad who would tell me about kidnapping and ransom notes. And don't worry, we don't have enough to kidnap you, Jonathan. You'd give him more trouble than I could ever pay him for. But there were, you know, just to think about it as a child is to get that concept of a ransom. What if the dad didn't want to give up the money? Then it's curtains for the kid. What if it's, what if it's God that didn't want to give up his son for us rebels? And if you were in those, if you were in God's throne, and if I was in God's throne, we wouldn't give up our son for rebels. Because his nature is better than our nature. So far as heaven is higher than the earth. Look at 1 Timothy 2 6 who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Now I'm fulfilling the last part of that verse, testifying it in due time. The last 2,000 years have brought the gospel that tell us about the ransom. When it says in the first part of the verse, who gave himself a ransom for all, you don't need to get alarmed about that. Jesus gave himself a ransom for all. He gave himself to God, and the all is all kinds of men which are under consideration in this context and which the apostle shows in other places was one of his uses of words, the word all. For instance, and I don't want to get sidetracked here, and you shouldn't either, the love of money is the root of all evil. Well, the the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, but most sins are not committed for money. It's only a few sins that are committed for money, and yet... The Holy Spirit chose in the same epistle to use the word all. And here the all is all kinds of men, just like it's all kinds of evil in 1 Timothy 6.10 by going back up to the first verse and reading, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. No, all kinds of men. For kings and for all that are in authority. Those were not the ones that they were prone to pray for because they were the source of persecution. That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. No, all kinds of men because God blinds most men to the truth of the gospel. But he is willing to have all kinds of men be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, the second Adam, and he stood in place for his covenant people only, who gave himself a ransom for all. Jesus Christ gave himself for all kinds of men. If we read the whole Bible, we realize he gave himself 
for those given him by the Father. And anyone he gave himself for is surely ransomed. They will be released. It has nothing to do with the one that is held by the kidnapper or the prison or the king or the enemy. It's the payment made between the one who wants him delivered and the one who has the power to deliver him, God being both. And he gave his son as the ransom. What should the effect be on us? An event occurred in the reign of Cyrus the Persian that I'd like to tell you about. When Cyrus the Persian was expanding the Persian Empire, on his southern border was a chieftain of a small tribe named Cagular. And Cagular had resisted every effort by Cyrus's detachments of soldiers to subdue him. And so finally, Cyrus had to take a major portion of his army to his southern border, and he captured Cagular, took him and his family captive, and brought them back to Persepolis. And this man, Cagular, stood before the judgment seat of Cyrus the Persian for his life. This man was large, magnificent human specimen, and carried himself in a very noble way, and had resisted the Persian might for some time. Cyrus was sufficiently impressed that he was wondering if there might be some way he could save the man's life. Cyrus asked Cagular, what would you do? And if you ever read the titles of Cyrus, and they're listed, if you want to go look at some of the historical chronicles, he was a great king. And great king was one of his titles. If I were to spare your life, what would you do? Cagular responded, Your Majesty, if you spared my life, I would return to my homeland and remain your obedient servant as long as I lived. Cyrus then asked in this trial, What would you do if I spared the life of your wife? Cagular said, Your Majesty, if you spared the life of my wife, I would die for you. Cyrus was so moved by this exchange with this noble chieftain that he freed them both and returned Cagular to his province and appointed him as governor of that province. When they got home to much meaner surroundings than they had had seen in Persepolis, Cagular was reminiscing about the trip and the capital. He said to his wife, Did you notice the marble at the entrance of the palace? Can you believe what we saw? We've never seen anything like that. Did you notice the tapestry on the wall as we went down the corridor into the throne room? Did you see the chair on which the emperor sat? It must have been carved from one solid piece of gold. His wife appreciated his excitement and how impressed he was with it all, but she replied to him, I didn't see any of it. I didn't notice those things. Kegular said to her in amazement, What did you see? His wife looked seriously into his eyes and said, I beheld only the face of the man who said he would die for me. Now my illustration ends. Forget Kegular. I want to know who in here loves the Lord Jesus Christ, who said, I come to do thy will, O God, and gave his life for you and for me. Are there any like Paul 
that would say in 2 Corinthians 5, the love of Christ constraineth me because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And they which live should henceforth not live unto themselves, but unto him that loved them and gave himself for them. Turn with me to two passages of Scripture and I'll close. Another one like that, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. The apostle is trying to encourage the Corinthians to be faithful in their giving, to be liberal like the poor church in Philippi, Macedonia. And he says in verse 8, 2 Corinthians 8, 8, I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. How much do you love God? How much do you love the Lord Jesus Christ, Corinth? Look at Philippi, what they've given. Verse 9, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. How's that for a ransom payment? Where a rich man would become poor by giving all that he had to redeem us who were poor, that we might be made rich. This is how the Bible describes the ransom that we have found and that I get to testify to you. One more passage. And it's the Song of Solomon, chapter 8. Song of Solomon, chapter 8. And I will not apologize that I have used this at weddings. But it's almost sacrilege to have used it at weddings. In comparison to the lover of our souls. Song of Solomon chapter 8 and verse 6. Set me as a seal upon thine heart. Let the Lord Jesus Christ speak to you right now. Set me as a seal upon thine heart. As a seal upon thine arm. For love is strong as death. Jealousy is cruel as the grave. The coals thereof are coals of fire, which hath a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. If a man would give all the substance of his house for love, it would utterly be contemned. The Lord Jesus Christ has loved us, and he is jealous for our love in return. And he asks us to set him as a seal upon our hearts, as a seal upon our arms, and that we will be faithful to him. And that this kind of love cannot be bought. There's no amount of waters that can quench this love. This is the love of the Lord Jesus Christ for his church, which is also taught in the book of the Song of Solomon. And I ask you today, is your heart sealed? Is your arm sealed? That you are the Lord Jesus Christ, and all you can see is his face. The bride eyes not her garment, but her dear bridegroom's face. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.